Well, sometimes I think it's helpful to stop and, and say among ourselves, this is who we are, this is what we're about, this is what we want to do. And so I've, I've, a couple years ago, I worked on what I called an elevator statement. An elevator statement being you get on an elevator, somebody asks you a question, and you've got about 30 seconds or less to answer the question. You don't have a chance to have an extensive monologue or dialogue. So my, my issue is this. If somebody, you're sitting, standing at the medu, maybe the children's hospital, and you get on the elevator, you're going to go to the seventh floor, you get on the elevator, and somebody says, oh, I've, I've been to East Cooper Church. What is East Cooper Church about? Well, I say, well, I, I've, I've got 30 seconds, right? I say, we're about uh, biblical theology that honors Christ, and we believe the Reformation was a recovery of Biblical theology, so we love Reformation theology. Number two, we are a missional people. You just heard Jeff speak. Number three, we are a community of people who believe in relationships because God made us for relationships. And number four, we are transgenerational. We want to love the coming generations in the name of Christ. Thank you. Have a good day. Seventh floor. Now, so for the next four weeks going through December 23rd, I'm going to take those four statements and just topically walk with you through them and say, this is who we are, you know, this is who we are as a church. This is where we want to go. This is what we want to mark us as we go forward. And so today is going to be, uh, we believe in Reformation theology. We believe the Reformation was a recovery of the gospel of grace. It was a pure statement of what it means to be saved. We believe that we are saved by faith alone and the work of Christ alone. And those alones are very important. We believe the Bible alone is our authority. And we want to live to the glory of God alone. Because God, by grace alone, has poured his life into us. So, so that, that's who we are. If you were to go to Geneva... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, if, you go, if, you, if you were to go to Geneva, there's a, a wall in Geneva, Switzerland called the Reformation Wall. And you would see these four uh, figures. Uh, to the left is a guy named Farrell, who was one of the leaders of the Reformation. The guy to his left, our right, is John Calvin. Then the guy to John Calvin's right is a man named Theodore Beza, who kind of succeeded John Calvin in Geneva during the Reformation there. And then the man to the far right is John Knox, the great reformer who was from Scotland. Now, uh, above their heads in, in Latin is a phrase that says, after darkness, light. And that's the cry of the Reformation. That the, the gospel had been covered up with man-made systems and man-made thinking, but, but, but the reformers took the word of God alone and hammered it and hammered it and hammered it, and they came to, came to understand that we are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ alone. Faith alone, because of the grace of God alone, because of the work of Christ alone. There's nothing we, we bring. And... The, the key passage, of course, is Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, that, that says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile, the nations. 
For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written in the book of Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. And see, the question is, what does this little phrase, a righteousness from God, mean? What does that mean? Well, for years, the existing authorities have said that that, that means that you are, you are made righteous, that through the work of Christ and your self-effort, you are made righteous. The reformers came along. We're talking about Martin Luther in a few minutes. The reformers came along and said, no, the, the word here means to, to count as righteous, to declare righteous, to regard as righteous. It's nothing we do. We are declared righteous in the sight of God by the work of Christ. I bring nothing to it. And so one of the old confessions of faith says we're saved not by infusing righteousness. That's an important word. The, the people have been told up until this time and are still told in many circles that, that you're saved gradually as you obey and as you look to Christ. But as you obey, you are gradually, 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 gradually saved. And we can never know who really is saved because we really don't know people's hearts. They says, no, it's not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, forgiving their sins, wiping their sins out, by accounting them and accepting them as righteous in God's sight for Christ's sake alone. Imputing, boom, giving everything he has to us by faith, boom, he just gives it to us. It's not infusing like a tea bag in water. It is freely given to us. That is the gospel of grace. And that makes me want to sink. And if you get hold of that, you will sink. Christ alone. Now, I was in my hometown of Yadkin, Yadkin County, North Carolina. Uh, it's agricultural. Okay, so I'm walking down, I'll get to my story, but I'm, I'm walking down the street with my wife, and there are these two little girls, seven, eight years old, in the front yard. One is sitting down, and the other girl is standing above her, and she's going, duck, duck, goose. Now, for those of you that have played that sport, which is an advanced sport at the Citadel, <laughs> it requires at least three people. Sometimes seven, sometimes you have to have duck, duck, goose. And then when you say goose, you jump up and you chase them in a circle and try to catch them. That's, that's, that's the game, which I hope will be in the Olympics next time around. Right after synchronized swimming, okay? So duck, duck, goose. Now, Yakin County, a lot of cousins marry each other. So you can understand how you, you know, anyway. So that's one child's game. But the child game I want to talk to you about is this. Do you remember playing one, two, three, red light? Everybody play that growing up? Well, if you never played that, it's a fantastic game. You have somebody that stands with their back to everyone else, and they'll go one, two, three, red light. Then they turn, and they see who's moving. Or they'll say, one, two, three, red light. So, so it varies in its speed. And so I see you, I see you. And the issue is you never get to them. That is the way the gospel was preached to the reformers for years. 
you never, you never make the grade. It's always one, two, three, red light. I saw you. I saw that bad thought you had. I saw what you did. You're not worthy of grace. You're not worthy of forgiveness. You've got to do A, B, C, D, and E, and then all bets are off. The, 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 the theology of salvation was one, two, three, red light. I got you. I got you. I got you. And you never make the grade. You, you, you never measure up. It's, it's in, infused. It's infused slowly at best and then the the reformers came on and says no it is boom given to us it is imputed we are justified freely truly by the work of christ alone we are as righteous on the day that god saves us positionally as we are 50 years down the road when we have walked with the lord in obedience here and there this is who we are. We glory in that. It causes us to sing. And that's why in, there's a statement in the bulletin from my favorite preacher of the last century, a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says this. He says, There is no peace between God and man until a man grasps this doctrine of justification. I believe that. I think there are people sitting here today who've been raised in maybe even this church who still think somehow in their mind, and believe me, it's not because you've heard it preached, it's because you've heard it in your mind, that I've got to do something to be made right with God. Surely I've got to do something. Give my body to be burned. I've got to go on this pilgrimage. I've got to go on this extensive. I've got to do something. It's, listen, it's only the grace of Christ. That's who we are. It's only the cross of Christ. I think Lloyd-Jones is right. There is no peace between a man and God until he, a man grasps the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It is the only way of peace, and it is something that comes to the mind. It is doctrine. It is a teaching. In other words, we aren't just told, all is well, do not worry, all will be all right in the end, the love of God will cover you. That is not the gospel. The first thing that happens is that the mind is enlightened and the man says, I see it is staggering in its immensity, but I can see how God himself has done it. He has sent his own son and he has punished my sin in him. His justice is satisfied and therefore I can see how he can forgive me. Sin is separating me from a holy God. The only way to cross from my sin to God's holiness is through the work of the cross. And that only. And I tell you, when you get hold of that, it, it, makes, you, it makes you want to sing. It's so clear. Just listen to Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. That's ESV. I love that translation. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may ever boast. Do you get that? You understand that's what we're about. It's Christ alone. The cross alone. Christ, my sin bearer, who died on the cross for me alone. Listen. When the truth remains abstract, the soul does not live off the treasure. I'll say that again later. But when, when the truth remains abstract, you don't live off the treasure. 
I want you to live off the treasure of the gospel. I want you to live off the treasure of, of Christ in me. I want you to live off the treasure of God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to live off that treasure. I don't want to remain abstract. I want to be in your heart and your life and your psyche. Because that leads to worship. That, that leads to, to joy. This, this is so important. I, 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 when this grips you, I think I, I, I think it just moves us. I, I think it moves us to obedience. I think it moves us to be forgiving. I think it moves us to respond to God's leadership in our life, whether it's going to Afghanistan or, or staying here. And but it, it, it moves us. It moves us to give and to love and to serve. But it's got to grip you. You cannot live off of a treasure that's not deep in your soul. I think it's important because our hearts are spring loaded. To forget the gospel. That's why we want to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Several years ago, I had the chance to get to know and spend time with a young lady who had uh, who was really struggling, and she had some eating disorders, and um, she, she claimed to be a follower of Christ, but every time you saw her, every hair was in place. She always said the right thing. She was always on time. She was perfect. And I pulled her aside. I said, you know, I just, I just want you to know this. It is really okay to have a bad day. It's okay to cuss. And don't repeat me on that. And God forgives us. I mean, if you get, if you get mad and say, God, God... I said, you've got to get hold of grace. I said, you, you, you're not accepted by the triune God because you measure up. You never measure up. One, two, three, red light. You never measure up. You, you, you never will. You've got to get hold of grace. It makes you want to sing. It makes you want to laugh. It makes you want to worship. It does. It makes you cry out, why, God? Why, why, why have you been so good to me? God is good. Oswald Chambers supposedly said that the beginning of all sin is to have this thought. God is not absolutely good. When I look at the cross, I say, God is absolutely good. God is for me. Who can be against me? God is good. Does it grip your heart? You know, it's just grace, isn't it? I mean, I've, uh, I'm, I'm asked by younger pastors now, it's kind of, humbling said so they'll say how, how, how do you have a long-term ministry and uh, I say um, I don't know I said find a church that loves you and cares for you and loves the word of God and 
puts up with your stupidities and uh, I don't know. I, I was at a gathering two weeks ago and somebody said, how do you have a long-term marriage? I, I looked around. And they said, I, I'm talking to you. I said, I've only been married 32 years. I said, we're barely out of the blocks. And go ask my mom and dad. They've been married 64 years. I said, well, just you, you, in God's grace, you find a, a woman who loves Christ, and you struggle, and you grow together, and you... But I said, do you worship together? I said, I, it's, it's grace. I mean, it really, the older you get, the more you step back and say, you know, there really is grace. It, it, it really is the mercy of God in everything that I do. Our hearts are spring-loaded to think we've got to do it. And when that happens, there's no joy. There's no worship. We're consumed with self. It's only the work of Christ. One of my favorite hymns is a guy named, by a guy named Toplady called Rock of Ages. Let me read the second and third stanza. He says, not, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It's only Jesus. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die, the fountain of God's shed blood, on the cross for my sin. Do these truths Get you know now let me let me tell you a couple of stories now about Martin Luther. Ma- Martin Luther, the year is uh, the year is fifteen oh five. Now Martin Luther is twenty one twenty two. He is, uh, has just passed his master's degree exams. He's going to go to law school. His dad is a fairly wealthy man in the area. Wants to have a son that will build his wealth. <clears throat> so Luther was going to go to law school. He's walking through the forest one day, and a thunderstorm rolls in, and a lightning bolt hits so close to Luther that it knocks him to the ground. It's very frightening. Luther scrambles under a fallen tree, and he cries out, Saint Anne, save me, and I will become a monk. Well, he survives the thunderstorm. A few weeks later, he goes to a place called Erfurt, and he knocks on the front door of the monastery, and he presents himself to be a monk. And they come in, they ask him some questions. And I didn't, I didn't, I've read this a hundred times, but I came across some more research lately that this is a really cool story. This is so cool. So, so they, he comes in, and, and to, as you take your first vows, you lie prostrate on the ground, and as if you're on the cross, but you're face down. And he, he took his first vows. We'll stop. So let's go back to, um, this is a picture of a man named John Huss. I've mentioned John Huss before. John Huss, the Czech reformer who preached the gospel, and, and, and he was told, stop, stop, stop. He kept on preaching. So in 1415, 1415, um, they burnt him at the stake. And 
the authorities, the bishops that burned him at the stake, you see them lightening the wood of his feet. He cried out and he said something like this. He said, you can, you can burn this goose, because huss in Czech means goose. I, I didn't know that. You, you can burn this goose, but after me, within 100 years, a swan will arise, and you will not be able to ever silence him. And so that, that's 1415. So Luther uh, becomes a monk in 1505. Um, he presents himself, and, 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 and he, he's lying prostrate. He's lying prostrate over the remains of the man who gave the final decree to burn John Huss. Is that wild to you? So here's Luther, and of course, we, I wish he'd said, I wouldn't have this historic, it's just a guess. I wish he'd said to John Huss, over my dead body. <laughs> you get it, Luther? Okay. All right. So, so here's, here's Luther. He's, he's laying, he's laying, he's laying prost, prostrate. And um, um, John, so Luther is driven by a passion. Luther said this, if ever a monk was saved by his monkery, it would be me. He had to confess your sins to a confessor. He would confess his sins to a confessor two and three hours a day. And usually guys go in 30 seconds of confessing, they're, they're out the door. Luther, two and three hours a day. And his confessor, a man named von Staupitz, was driven almost to the point of, you know, get rid of this guy. But see, he, he was driven by a passion to experience forgiveness that was real and was lasting. You see that? He was driven by, by a passion to experience forgiveness that was real and lasting, not that was here today and gone tomorrow, not a one, two, three red light, but a solid forgiveness of sin. And so the years go by, and in 1515, 10 years later, 100 years, okay, 100 years after John Huss is burnt at the stake, it's wild, Luther is, is, is given the responsibility, he's a great linguist, he's a great teacher, to teach the book of Romans. And so he taught the book of Romans. And, and, he, and he came to, to, to this Romans 1, 17, where, where it says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And, and Luther said, I found this verse to be repugnant. Repugnant. I hated it. People said, said to me, do you love God? And I said in my inner heart, I would murmur, no, I hate this God who sets up a standard that no one can ever reach to. And then as he, he said, I beat upon it, I beat upon it. He came to see that, that, that righteousness is not something that is given to you gradually, but it was declaratively laid upon you. And he says this, oh, Bob, this is it. So we have all these portraits of Luther through the years, and there's always a swan behind him. I didn't know that to reason why, because that's the fulfillment of John Huss's statement, Luther the swan, that will not be silenced. I just think that's fun and really cool. And if you don't, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. This is what makes you... That's a picture of John Knox. That was a... Luther said this, Then I grasp that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God 
justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. He came to see that it was Christ alone, not his efforts. There are people here all over this place this morning in the gym at our north campus who can stand up and say, there was a point in my life where I, 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 I believed that, it had, that I was playing one, two, three red light regarding my salvation, and I never could get to the line. And then I saw the doctrine, the, the beauty of the gospel, that I'm forgiven by the work of Christ alone, and I felt as if I had been reborn, and I entered the gates of paradise. Man, it is a good, it makes you want to sing. It makes you happy. It makes you joyful. And that, and, and that is who we are. And so we go to Romans chapter 5. And just, just this statement. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, the therefore refers to the previous four chapters, especially chapters 3 and 4, where he, he, he works out the fact that in, in the fullness of time, God became a man and died on the cross for our sins. But now a righteousness from God has been revealed to which the law and the prophets spoke. A righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Not the peace of God. We have peace with God. We've been reconciled to him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. There is no equivocation. There is no retreat. We stand in this. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, justification has its results. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Access. We have gained access, not because of us, because of Jesus. We've gained access into the throne room of grace, not because of our efforts, not because of one, two, three red light when we finally made the mark, but we've gained access through the work of Christ and Christ alone. Do you see that? You can't live off the treasure you don't know. I was reading 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Charles Spurgeon said, if I had one verse to preach, I would be 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. It says this, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given at its proper time. How do you gain access into the throne room of God? By the mediator. What is his name? His name is Jesus. He is the ransom for my sin. And he says this. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. And then he says this. And he just hit me reading this week. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I just thought, you know, what's the link there? I mean, there are all types of prayer postures on your face, on your knees, sitting quietly, lifting holy hands in prayer, saying, God, I want to reach you. I want to know you. You're everywhere present, but you're the God of all the, all the heavens. I want to reach you. 
What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. That when I get hold of the fact that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for my sin, then I will be a man who worships. I'll lift up holy hands. I'll purge myself of sin. And instead of being a man that's filled with a disputatious attitude who argues over everything or a man who's filled with anger, I'm filled with praise. You see, justification has its results. Do you have peace in your homes? Peace in your lives? Peace in your relationships? As much as depends upon you, you should because you have peace with God. You should be a peacemaker, the Bible says. See, that, that... That's what we need. It drains anger. And it gives us a spirit of worship, brothers and sisters. Who are we? We're people who love the gospel of grace. We're people who believe the Reformation was a recovery of the gospel. And we stand on the shoulders of these men. And we glory in Christ. You cannot be moved by a treasure that is merely cognitive and it's not in your spirit. Do you glory in Jesus? Stop transition. A couple of things. First of all, I'm talking about worship, talking about glory in Christ. Tomorrow night, church at 7 o'clock. At the North Charleston Performing Arts Center, we're going to have a gala presentation of the gospel and music centered around the advent of Christ, and it will be glorious. You should be there. You should be there prayerfully with joy and celebration, celebrating the goodness of Christ. Be there. Everyone. Everyone should be there. What a way to celebrate. Our church gathered there. That's tomorrow night. Now, I've, I've been asked to, to, to make a, a statement by our elders, and this is, this is really a fun statement to make. So I said, man, pick me, pick me, pick me. They did. So <clears throat> let me report that uh, our budget year runs from uh, August 1 through the last day of July, which would be July the 30th. Uh, we have been through our books and we've gone over everything. So we now can close the year on the calendar year 2011 to 2012. Um, this past year, calendar year, we ended the year $500,000 in the black. $500,000 in the black. For those of us that aren't good in our economic understanding, which most of them live in Washington, but for us here, okay, uh, to be in the black is very good, all right? That's good. Black is good, red is not, not good. So we're in the black. So first of all, thank you for faithfully giving. Many, many, many of you faithfully give and understand the concept of the biblical tithe, and you live it out. But because of that, the elders have been talking about this for about three months. And so of that $500,000, we have given $140,000 off the top to international missions. We have uh, used a, a, a 
money to build this temporary building you'll see coming in that will allow us to have larger educational space for especially our high school ministries and other large group gatherings. We are in the process of building another road to help with our egress that I think will be dearly appreciated by the brethren on Sunday morning to get us off the property quicker. That's going to happen, we hope, by uh, June, July. Is that right? I'm looking at Brother Gene. We have also are using part of that overage to, to pay down our debt. Let me tell you, our debt right now is about $3.4 million, which in our operating budget represents 6.3% of our budget. Now, if you know churches, that is very low debt service. That's, that's not much debt. We'd like it to be zero. Um, we've always tried to be very conservative, um, and how we spend money is to the glory of God. So also, now, as the year comes to an end, let me encourage you to give, to give, to keep the giving, to, to give the general fund, to give to the impact center that we hope if we raise the monies to build it will give us additional space, additional meeting space, to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that I'll discuss next week, and I'll tell you the plan for giving to Lottie Moon next week. But, but, but understand this. We, we as a church, um, we want to build, we want to be a, a, a launching pad uh, for the gospel. Uh, we, we have right now, church, uh, two families. What we sent, we've already we sent one family to, to India. I think I can say that, Dave. We sent one family to India uh, just a few months ago. We have another family that's going to be going to North Africa in a few months. You've met them last week. We have another family in the pipeline to go to, can I say where they're going? To go to Khartoum. Khartoum. Afghanistan, Khartoum. These, these are places where the tourism secretary is a very lonely person. These are tough places. These are tough places. And, and we have people going there. We want to be a launching pad. Let me give you one example of a launching pad. I got this advanced copy of this of a, of a book about two weeks ago. It's on my to-read list. I will read it pretty quickly. It's entitled, God is Impassable and Impassioned. Go, ooh, yeah, you know. Um, it, it's, it's, it is a theological treatise. It's a doctoral dissertation that's been uh, rewritten for public consumption. And the guy who wrote it is a guy named Rob Lister. Rob was on our youth staff here. He grew up in this church. His... Dad is going to be here, Mom, here, this service and next service. Uh, his brother has a Ph.D. in theology and teaches at Louisiana College. I can go on and on and on. Launching pad. Uh, I read the first few pages, the acknowledgement. He, he, he says very nice things about his mom and his dad. He dedicates this, this book to his, to his wife, Lou, whom he met here. Uh, he talks about his in-laws. Uh, he he <laughs> forgot to talk about me. So I know it was just a slip, and he probably would have to republish this to write about me. But, uh, uh, and, and he does mention his brother-in-law. with the two forces in his life, Craig Jones. Oh, gosh. Anyway, um, <laughs> launching pad. Now, and it's just not a field. I'm talking about physicians and attorneys who represent Christ and teachers and homemakers. We are a launching pad. And we're launching pad as you catch the vision. So, so, so while, I, while I sit back and I say, man, 
$500,000 in the black. That is good. What would happen if our worshiping community got a vision for stewardship and tithing unto God through the local church? I'm, I'm telling you, what would happen? You know, launching pad. There it is. Launching pad. That's what we want to be. So, thanks be to God for his tender mercies to us. And, and, and thanks be to God for the gospel of grace. You know, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that when we were dead, dead, the Bible says. Not, not injured. Not, you know, just kind of beat up. When we were dead in our sins... God made us alive in Christ. Wow. Anyone close? Prayer, do you want to sing that? Let's pray. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day that you have given us. This is the Lord's day. And we pray that we as a church would uh, really understand and glory in the gospel of grace. God, help us to repent quickly whenever we start playing one, two, three, red light in our mind. I thank you that uh, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. And thank you that as we worship you in that way that there are incredible realities that flow from justification by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand because of the access we have through the Lord Christ. And I pray that as a church, Lord, we'll be a launching pad for the generations to come as, as we love the gospel and preach the gospel and sing the gospel and, and worship that we'll be people that are changed. To that end, Lord, I pray for tomorrow night that the worship tomorrow night will be full of the life and the energy and the joy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the wild, wild, glorious, long-preached story of God becoming a man. And thank you we can celebrate that. May our celebration this year be filled with the tender mercies of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.